Welcome to the Mammoth Gamescast, a deep dive video game podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay. With me this week, we have Johnny Riot. Hey. And we got Brian. Hey, back after a long break from this. You have been gone a while, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. This week, we didn't have a poll. It was just kind of due to um, some of the mix-ups here. But we decided pretty much this morning when we sat down and started talking based off of some of the conversations that were had last week with the stadium memoriam recording we decided to go digital versus physical preservation and emulation this one was brought up by uh johnny yeah i I feel like you have a lot to say about this one i mean it's a thing that i've always been very passionate about and unfortunately i keep writing that line I've, i've been very passionate about both sides of the argument for quite a while so i was hoping that we can use this today to kind of cover a lot of the facts that are in there almost like we would be preparing for a debate because that's what is always happening is physical versus digital is a never-ending debate and i think that we've uh covered a lot of the ins and outs of it before our stadia episode really had uh, had austin and i talking about a lot of the different aspects of it too so I, I think that there's a lot of factual things that we can cover and then there's a lot of a lot of opinion piece and stuff in there but it, it's a very it's a very slippery slope as you know I think that's how we're going to try to cut it up. We're probably going to break this into two episodes. This will probably be facts and then getting into maybe preservation, emulation, depending. And then we're really going to focus on the second half uh, on the consumer versus the publisher. What are the benefits as a consumer, the negatives, and then the same thing for the publisher, developer, and other words for people who make and produce video games. So let's start this off with you guys checking us out on Twitter at Mammoth Games Inc. We appreciate all the follows over there as well. If you get the chance, check out some of the other stuff under the Fun Balance umbrella. We have the Fun Balance podcast. It's just a a podcast of unbalanced conversations. Myself, John, and Ian get into some very interesting topics. And then myself and Brian on this show are also part of the Bad Assets podcast. That is a basically a playthrough of, as of now, what is in the Bunkers and Badasses, uh, a Borderlands tabletop game rulebook. We plan on branching out beyond that, and we're already, as of yesterday, starting to break the mold on what the game is by getting into some more behind-the-scenes look at some of the characters and, and learning more and character building and things like that. And Brian, you were already saying, like, yeah, that's a lot of fun to record. <laughs> It's definitely played a little bit more to the creative aspect that I've been kind of really enjoying here lately that it's not necessarily just covering news, but it's, well, it's gamified improv. That's exactly what it is. So yeah, join us. You can follow us on Twitter there, BadAssetsPod. But without further ado, let's get into some of the facts for digital versus physical preservation and emulation. I'm thinking maybe starting with physical. Johnny, I'm not sure how you wanted to break this down, if you wanted to bounce between physical and digital, or if you wanted to, hey, let's run through some facts about physical, let's run through some facts about digital. I'll let you lead that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we can obviously start with the physical aspect of it. When people typically think video games, most of the time what you're thinking of is that physical aspect. You're you're probably thinking of a physical store that you would go into to buy your stuff not really thinking too far into it but with physical gaming you know you're you're walking out with something in your hand that's going to go on your shelf 
And the process for that is, you know, you start with your publisher, distributor, your wholesaler, to your retailer, to your, you, the player. There's a, a big chain of events that get that game into your hand. It's kind of always been that way. It's, it's not very easy for a company to say, hey, we made this dope game. It's all ourselves. Here's your physical copies of it. Like, there's not... When it comes to physical gaming, there's not a big DIY space for it, I guess is the way to put it, because there's way too many regulations you have to go through. There's way too many steps to make sure that you're getting the right product into people's hands. And yeah, that, that process is pretty tried and true. You know, sometimes they do cut out the wholesaler, depending on where you pick up your games. Yeah, and the big thing with physical games is that um, the market is very controllable, at least at release. You know, you have demand out there for things like pre-orders and stores knowing how many they need to order so that the the publisher gets back and knows how much or how many of their games are going out to the public day of. Um, there's not a big mystery in how many they're unloading because they're already getting that money because the distributor is pushing out to the wholesaler who's pushing out to the retailers. That that pyramid is going up and they're seeing how much money they're going to be making as soon as that game actually goes out. Yeah, that's typically brought on by like checking pre-orders. Okay, we have this amount of pre-ordered. We have to send them, you know, this amount. And then it's usually on the retailer's front. Okay, how many copies of this do we do do we need or do we, you know, what's the forecast of how many we think we're going to need yeah. to satisfy without, you know, spending a so, ton extra. And the 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 big thing to point out there is that market is very controlled at release, but that's it. Um, with physical games, once it's out there, I mean, there were times working retail that I had a pre-owned copy of that game later the day it came out. Yeah. Like, um, I, I want to say the the 360 Tony Hawk game that came out, that is exactly what happened. I, I had a copy of that game come back into the store by like 5 p.m. launch day. So it, it went right into the pre-owned shelf. It's just how it went. And usually saves those pre-owned buyers, what, five bucks? Yeah, I mean, at that point it saved them some. Um, for, for that one, it also saved them future costs of the game because it also saved me a ton on those new buyers by telling them, dude, I've already got a pre-owned copy of this. It's not good. And and there's I think there's there's a healthy list of, of those type of games. You know, off the top of my head, I can think of Brink and Rage. As games that I remember coming back literally the same day. I feel bad because Rage was actually pretty good. It's just that no one understood what that game was. And I think we've talked about that at length before. That was like a glorious tech demo. I, I think uh, Brink was another game like that. Great on paper. What it did was fine. It was a fine game. It just... Oh, man. I wasn't latched onto. I have a friend that was so upset with Brink when he got it. I could see that. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a running joke in my circle of friends and stuff like that. Is that well, occasionally we'll bring that on. Just uh, he he just did not enjoy that. I it's been years. I can't even remember the reason why. I just remember that he just didn't hated the game, and so we just love to bring it up occasionally as like a very distant callback. I didn't get any Brink merch when I was working retail. So I literally went online and bought a shirt that just said Brink really big across it, and I would just wear it all the time. <laughs> well, the fun aspect of that is that uh, if anybody asks, 
you could either say refer to that game or to the Disney uh, straight-to-channel movie that came out about rollerblading. Oh, good point, good point. So one thing that I forgot to even put on here when it came to physical games, rentals, man. Oh, looking way back, yeah. Yeah, dude. God, I hate that you said way back. I want to throw up. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. If we're looking at games, it's retro. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was crazy. Like it's crazy thinking that, but I could go to the I'd go to the video store on the weekend and get my like three or four day rental, and that's how I got introduced to a ton of games. Oh yeah. If it weren't for physical gaming, I wouldn't be into the games I'm into now. And like I was able to go to the store, look at the boxes, and say, "Yeah, I want to rent this one," and that's the game I took home for two or three days. Yeah. That still kind of exists. I was gonna say. Back then, even if you did like those games too, you had the opportunity to purchase it for a pretty fair price. Yeah, I mean, I I remember looking. I mean, there was a couple of games that I bought through that, and I even got um, a decent amount off because if it is an opened game and it was being rented, yeah, that's a used game. So they would drop the price by a little bit, and you know, there you go. It's crazy because, like, I think I never went to Blockbuster a lot growing up, but I, Same. I did because there was never one near me it was always mom and pop shops near me it was like video family video it was i had video barn at one place (laughs) where i was growing up which was wild and by the time i ever experienced my first blockbuster i went in with friends and it was to buy stuff because they had such a massive selection of just used games and i was like oh i didn't know that was a thing um yeah i would love a copy of castlevania symphony of the night sealed for 20 bucks like cool Oof. let's do this but that was a really neat experience that you just can't get anymore by like walking in with that rental aspect to it other places have tried that it has been tested in current companies that exist it just doesn't work anymore it's with with media going the way it has with current gens like PlayStation 4 PS5 um Xbox 1 to Xbox series it's it's tougher to do that because you have to commit so much more time to your installs and your hard drive space and by the time you get all of your updates done on a, on a game you're you're committed to it half the time by the time you get it ready to play yeah and th- yeah there, there's still companies out there you know we still got i think there's still redbox um redbox stopped doing games Red, oh, did they? Redbox quit. Yeah, Redbox stopped doing games about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Gamefly is still going strong though. Yeah, Gamefly is wildly still going strong, and a lot of times their purchase price on a used game is way under market. I'd like to know how they, where they get their games from, and how they get their game. Like they're really leaning heavy on that used front. I'm always seeing like, yeah, I'm always seeing like ads or whatever for them. You know. Like buy buy two get one free on used games or whatever. Well, I I still know people that use their service as rental. You know, they use it to get those new games, play it for a week or two, send it back, get that next one for the big titles that come up that they don't feel like owning. So they queue up the new releases months before they actually come out, and it's cool. It works for them very well. But I've also seen really good like pre-owned copies of super new games that I wanted to grab for like half off, like thirty bucks, and I missed my chance. Because when you get those games, unlike when you go to uh, like a like an actual retailer like GameStop and the like, you know sometimes you'll go in and you might not get the original case for your used game. You might not get any of the inserts and stuff that came with it. You're just gonna get that game with a generic case. 
Gamefly is the opposite because they don't send the case and stuff out with their rentals. Like yeah. they sit, they, they hoard them all in a warehouse. When the game comes back and they decide to sell it, they put a copy of the game back in the case with all the original stuff minus the plastic wrap and they just sell it. So it's a very good way to get like complete copies of games for yourself if you're a big collector. And speaking of collector, we also have Limited Run Games, who's kind of doing something it's very different than Gamefly, but they are producing physical games in a limited capacity for those physical fans. I feel like we've all bought something from Limited Run Games. Yep. Don't fuck. Don't don't remind me. I'm still waiting. Me too. I still haven't got my Scott Pilgrim soundtrack that I ordered almost two years ago. I have uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 for Nintendo Switch as a physical copy. And I'm waiting for um, the newest Ninja Turtles game. That's coming in February. I mean, it's already out, and I've played it, but, you know, the physical edition is coming out in February. Yeah, like, Limited Run is focusing very hard on the direction that I felt like gaming should be going, or, or should have gone already, but I don't think it's... I don't think that a lot of big publishers know how to let it go that way yet, but it's basically... It, it's supply by demand. So it's, it's not supply and demand, it's supply by demand. You know, you have an, a window of opportunity where you can pre-order the big games that are coming up, and that's it. Yeah. You know, they'll tell you, hey, you'll get emails that say, this is your last chance to order this physical copy of Doom for the Switch that has all of this other stuff on it. It's like, oh, okay, I, I'll, I do want that, cool. But they focus on, like, that order window, and then they shut it off, and then they manufacture and get everything ready, and then they ship it who knows when. Yeah, they have like a window and there's not a guarantee that it's going to come within that window. That's the estimated window that it sh you know, should be arriving in. I mean, like other companies do that too. Uh, like if you've ever, if you're interested in statues or anything like that from games. And I, I buy action figures from Big Bad Toy Store and they do the... They have a very similar thing. Like, it's not... Theirs is, we're definitely making this. But if, if you want to pre-order it, there is, a like, a finite amount that are going to be available. So make sure that you, you know, get that pre-order in. And then when it comes to shipping... Theirs is really weird. Because theirs is like, okay, cool, it's going to be November. And then November gets here, and it's November 22nd. You're like, I still don't have it. And then you check the website, and it's like, it was pushed to December. <laughs> and then they'll go out by a month. And, you know, sometimes that happens. But, you know, you still get the product at the end of the day. Yeah, the downside there is with with limited run. The biggest downside I've encountered is that once you place that order, you can't cancel it. Yeah. Like I ordered the the gigantic Scott Pilgrim Collector's Edition with like the the trap, like the road case and stuff, like the full diorama. Mm -hmm. I stopped wanting that game a month and a half after I ordered it, and I still didn't get it for over a year. Eesh. So it's it's sitting in a pile of sealed stuff behind my chair right now. I'm never gonna open it. I just don't care. I ended up buying the game digitally for five bucks because I got tired of waiting, and I have no need for a physical Switch copy of it now, but it's there. Yeah. So it literally for shelf space, awesome. That's the biggest pro. Like I've I've got a gigantic case, a gigantic thing that shows my love of this game, that nostalgia bit me back on. Yeah. And I I, I feel like with a lot of physical games nowadays, that nostalgia factor is what drives the market. You know. That core memory of busting the plastic off of a brand new game the day that you get it when you're going home. Reading the back of the packaging in the car while someone else is driving. Just being excited to get home and pop it in to play it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think physical does have a lot of nostalgia, and it's it's almost like I, I don't want to attribute it to this, but it is almost like like a bad habit. It's like a habit that you. It's just not the same thing anymore. You know what I mean? So I get what you mean by saying it's like a bad habit because the number of times in the past day I have put a game into my shopping cart, like a physical copy of a game into my cart online to order and to ship to my house for free, like obviously pay for the game because it's a good deal. I am way more likely to impulsively buy a physical copy of a game when it's a good deal than I am a digital copy of a game. Mm. And it's because I, I get something, I get that satisfaction of a box showing up on my front porch and I pop it open, and I get to put it on my shelf. So, is there a piece? And I, I wonder if this is true for a very like small sect of people who buy video games. Uh, I would say, you know, probably the the thirty plus audience, where going digital versus physical, they feel like they're not actually getting anything. I, I, I feel like that's definitely a part of it, and I, I think that we have become kind of desensitized. On the digital aspect of it over the years. No, I would agree with that. Sure. And I, I will definitely dive into that on the digital side of the argument. It's You can be desensitized to the physical aspect. You definitely can. You can be desensitized to the feeling and the excitement of popping open a brand new physical copy of the game. I know that given our jobs in the past, we were very desensitized to it because we were literally constantly ripping plastic wrap off of new games and opening them. So yeah. that lost its wow factor for us. Yeah. So I I don't I don't need that anymore. It's fine. But where my wow factor still is is I like looking over at my shelf and seeing the timeline of what I purchased and when. But I also feel like as I get older, sure. I don't have the core memories attributed to my purchases like I did when I was a kid. Saying like, oh man, me and my friends drove blah 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 to get this, and we both got a copy of this for Game Boy Advance and played it in the car with a link cable on the way back. Like, that's not there anymore. Most of my games on my shelf now are, oh yeah, I bought that, 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 and that all at once during a crazy like Christmas week sale, and I just never touched any of them, but they're on my shelf. Well, an argument could also be made that um, it could be just a, a point in which you're at in your life now too that you said that like getting these physical copies and stuff was you know a huge core memory when you were a kid and stuff like that because perspective wise that was the thing that you had to look forward to like you that was a a point in time on the calendar it's like all right on this day i'm going to go into the store and i'm going to pick this up and the rest of the day is going about that but since that time frame in which you you've now had other milestones in your life you you have a wife you have a kid and stuff like that you've had other experiences that kind of overshadow physical purchases and stuff like that and so maybe a case in, could be said that like the reason why you don't have that is because you also have all the you know like when you're younger you don't have those other milestones and now that you're at this point in your life that you are in you have some of these things that do kind of overtake what used to be your core memories on that. That's a good point. There, there definitely are a lot of other things there. And one thing that I'm currently getting into is sharing some of those memories and helping my, my son create new core memories. Um, he's getting into video games and stuff now too. So for us, it's weird that his first memories of getting into it 
aren't going to be coming from going to the store and getting a physical copy of this, getting a physical copy of that. His thing, his memories are coming from going to the store and getting a toy from the world that his game is in. And it's so backwards, I guess, because for us, it's a lot of, oh yeah, this is like one of my all-time favorite games. Oh, they did an action figure series for it. They did a statue series for it. I have to have those. For him, it's... Whereas back when we were growing up, we didn't have that kind of merchandise. Well, it, it was the opposite around. Like it, for us, it was, we have the game, and then years later, we start seeing collectibles for it. Right. And we're like, oh, that's dope. And the Final Fantasy stuff and Square Enix are huge on that alone. But nowadays, it's like, oh, my son's playing Minecraft because we've had that installed on the PlayStation forever. And then we're going to the store and getting Minecraft Legos and Minecraft toys and all this other stuff that have all spun out because of it. It just being a gigantic plethora of things. There's no dividing line. It's like nowadays when the game drops, so does all the other memorabilia for most of them. Right. But uh, to throw in another thing on here, you play games with your son a lot too and stuff like that right yeah yeah did you did your parents play with you no so i think an argument could also be made that a lot of your core mem his core memories will actually not be even so much the merchandise but the time that you two spend playing with each other too that's something that i don't think that a lot of us in our age will have uh, as profoundly growing up that, you know, our, well, for in your case, as your children, in my case, if I have kids, that is a potential, like, new core memory that we're going to see coming on. And it's like, it, it will take place of, like, what used to be the mainstay for a lot of core memories of what we had growing up with doing things with our parents and stuff. But it just so happens that now, genuinely, our interests align with kid, you know, with the kids and stuff like that in a way that is a lot more relatable, I think, than what we used to have. Like, growing up with physical games, um, back with my original Nintendo, one of my, a core memory I still have to this day was riding my bicycle to a friend's house, um, very small town. We were like two blocks away from each other. The whole town was maybe four blocks wide. So, mm. riding my bike to my friend's house, uh, I was carrying some of my Nintendo games with me because he had a Nintendo as well. We went back and forth a lot. He was never allowed to leave his house, but I was always allowed to go to his house. Um, I wrecked my bicycle and dropped my games, and my copy of oh, Contra no. flew into a giant mud puddle. Oh, no. I was devastated. I thought it was ruined. I cried so hard. I was like five years old, maybe six. <laughs> And I lost it. I didn't know what to do. I it I, it eventually dried out. I was able to like I was able to get it dried out. It worked yeah. fine, but like the label was extremely water damaged afterwards. But right, like I was able to play other games at his house while I waited for it to dry. By the time like I can't even remember the rest of it. Like that is that was the big traumatic experience for me. Was knowing was wrecking my bike, it landing in a puddle, and me crying my eyes out, hoping it <laughs> wasn't broken because I loved that game. Right. And it's I I didn't play with my parents back then. Like my parents got me a Nintendo or a Super Nintendo and stuff to keep me out of their hair. The only time I ever saw my dad play a video game was Tetris when he was getting angry at it and throwing the controller and throwing Diet Coke cans at the TV screen. Jesus. Like that's that's it for me. But now I am able to share that with my son to the point where he want, he can't wait for me to put my physical Simpsons arcade cabinet together. So I, I do like the aspect of still having this physical 
this, this set of physical things here that he can he can touch and he can grab um, and then ask questions about versus just booting up a menu mm-hmm. and going through and looking at things. Um, it's the, that it's that different vibe that you get all together on it. In a sense, that would be kind of like a, a family heirloom item from this point going forward. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird way to look at it, but I no, I'm glad that I can share that stuff with him. I'm glad that even if it's not going to be the main thing for him, I'm glad that it's there. I'm glad that I can go to my shelf and grab some stuff off of it to show somebody when it comes to sharing my games with people. I can just go like, hey, yeah, this is the collection that I've got on here. And I can just shoot somebody a picture if I need to and say, yeah, if you want to borrow one of these, let me know. You know, it's it's super easy that way. Mm-hmm. And, and that, again, is how much the market, when it comes to physical games... It's just there's no control on it after launch. If I decide that I want to sell one of these games, I can. Just last year, we sold a super rare retro game for like 600 bucks because it was going for that, and we were never going to play it. So mm. the developer didn't see a dime of me reselling that, but it uh, it helped us a little bit. It helped my friend achieve uh, my friend achieve a, a, a bucket list game because it was something they always wanted to have before they you know die. Like, I need a copy of that game. Hmm. Cool, I've got one. And that's one of those little weird niche things about physical gaming that will never go away. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's why we'll always see a market for the physical side of it. Um, getting into the digital side of it, though, yeah. because we've definitely gone at length on physical. Everyone, we yeah, all know yeah. physical. Um, any, any person listening to this episode no matter who you are, knows about physical games. It doesn't take explanation. Oh, yeah, I bought that Nintendo game from a grandson. Like, there's no question. Digital, though? I mean, depending on the age, at a certain point, uh, for a lot of people, digital will be the mainstay and stuff like that, just because the accessibility of digital versus physical and stuff. To an extent. um, I definitely get it, but I... I, What I mean, like right now, anybody listening to this episode is going to be able to say that, so, like, without a doubt, anyone listening to this knows what physical gaming is. Yeah. Yep. Digital's a little newer. I, I would, it, you know, this, I think this generation is the first console generation, which, you know, PC's massive. This is the first real console generation, I think, where it's like digital is a viable and only option. Right. Where physical is just out the window. Depending on which. Excuse me. Which iteration of console that you got for the uh, now current generation and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So that changes the process from where physical it was publisher, distributor, wholesaler, retailer, player. This just goes publisher to player, right? Which is well, it can. <laughs> typically, that's the way well, it goes. I mean, if you go into a store and buy a code, or if they're you know depending on the publisher's like deal or. You know, things like that. I would say you do still have distributor because you have, is this going through the PlayStation Store? Is this going through the Xbox Marketplace? Is this going through... Steam or Epic? Any of these other yeah. digital store So there's still right. a middleman, but it's less middleman than what... Uh, yeah, you, you, don't, you don't have a wholesaler and you don't really have retailers. Right. In some cases, you can have a retailer, but when it comes to digital, the retailers are using that as a last-ditch backup plan to keep your business because they're not getting anything out of it right yeah so the process is easily cut in half 
And that spells a lot of... I think it spells a lot of great things for the companies and the publishers and developers that are making these games. And then it, there is a little bit of a double-edged sword for the player. And that's what we'll get into in the second episode. Let's kind of jump into some of the digital facts. So... <laughs> and one. One of the big facts that I wanted to point out is a senior analyst for Nyko was talking about the last generation consoles, and this was back in 2013. He said this in 2020, but he was looking at back in 2013 with digital downloads accounting for 5 or 10% of the total sales. But now entering the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X generation, digital downloads account for more than half in mostly every single area that I had looked. It was right around 55% plus of all sales for video games. And that's that being the standard, not like a not like a one-off or anything. So that's kind of where I wanted to start with just talking about like how how much digital has crept up on physical, that mainstay that we've had for so long. I can't even say crept up. The I, the the biggest part of that, I would have to say, if we don't look at PC, because I don't even want to get into the big like Steam argument of stuff, because we know that that's massive. Right. But if you just look at the Xbox Marketplace specifically, that's huge. That was a very, very huge thing that did it. And then we had the PlayStation Marketplace really picking up with it. So we saw the convenience of people being able to not leave the house to get their game. But that didn't that didn't happen like overnight. It wasn't like right. boom, they released it, here it is. Like I remember they they really when digital started becoming big for console, they they were giving us free things. They're like, look how easy and convenient this oh, is. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember, like, here's Ragdoll Kung Fu. This is free and really cool. And then, you know, they started, like, peppering in. That's really where that... And not to take it to PC, but where the Epic Game Store's, like, idea of let's give them kind of the first taste for free thing, where they release these games, uh, you know, weekly or monthly. And they're just freebies. Getting more, Everybody wins on that digital front. And I noticed, of course, my habit when that... When I remember PS3 being the kind of like first time that I got a free digital game. And then it was like, oh, cool. Hey, what's Burn Zombie Burn? I can't find a physical copy of that. I'll, I'll buy it here. It's fine. And, you know, more and more to the point of some of us, you know, we just have just the digital version of the PS5. So that at that point, it's 100%. Granted, with that, that was also... Might been might have been determined with like the availability with PS5 too. Oh, of course. So let's let's take it back a step. So I don't want to go too deep on there. I definitely want to get there. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to digital gaming, one thing that kind of caught me off guard that I didn't think about, like yeah, like five to ten percent back at the beginning of the PS3 and 360. That makes that 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 makes sense. Like we don't think of digital gaming back then. But if you look at the history of the digital distribution of video games started in the 80s with Atari. Yeah, that's pretty wild. There was a way you could use dial-up and a specialized cartridge to digitally rent video games for 5 to 10 days through a service called GameLine. I couldn't even imagine that process. Mm-hmm. Just, <laughs> just how violent it would have made me. Here's the best, though. That GameLine service didn't last long. It was terminated during the video game crash of 83. Oh, classic, classic. Later on, 1987 to 2003, Nintendo's Japan-only disc writer kiosk 
would allow users to copy from a jukebox style of rotating stock the latest games to their floppy disks. Ooh, that's fun. And each game, um, they can keep each one for unlimited time and play them at home on the Famicom Famicom Disk System. So it was it was about a sixth the price of new games back then, uh, and that was considered truly groundbreaking. So even then, they weren't like just downloading the game. It was like it was the equivalent of taking like a blank cassette tape or a blank CD to a friend's house and ripping the new album that you really wanted to hear without having to go to the store to buy it, which is absolutely mind-blowing yeah that this was so far back and it was happening but it was considered like even with doing the uh even with going and using that disc system to like make the copy of the game that's still considered a digital distribution because you're not going to the store and buying a physical game you're taking your blank in and you're getting it loaded with the game for much cheaper showing us that they can still make money off of it without charging you the full msrp because at that point they're getting volume. And that's something I want to note, you know, just as we go forward in in this conversation is that they can still make money off of it at a, a reduced price. Yeah, cost has always been a thing. And we've talked in, in recent episodes, especially, and, and when in between console generations, we've mentioned it every time, inflation always made a difference because someone's got to get their money. But looking back at when this was... And who it was, of all things, it was Nintendo that was like, yeah, dude, come on in and make a copy of this game, and then it's yours. And it's like, the same Nintendo that won't let me, like, play 30 seconds of a song from one of their games without taking my YouTube video down, Nintendo? Yeah. Again, the first taste is free. (laughs) I think they got us. It's so weird, though, because I didn't even know that existed, and that is that is dope. Yeah. You know, as, as the 90s went on, we had some stuff with, like, Sega and Super Nintendo. They did have their own, like, flash cartridge systems and stuff to be able to download games and play online games and stuff, which got weird. Again, it was stuff that never really got popular in the U.S. We didn't see it really pick up until specifically... Like we said, PS3 and Xbox 360 is where it kind of started getting bigger. And I, I think one of the biggest reasons that happened is we started seeing a higher volume of games coming out. And we saw that because we saw games that didn't have to jump through all those hoops to have physical copies pressed and get to storefronts and then get advertising and then get to people. We saw like Braid on the Xbox 360 arcade and we downloaded it because it looked cute and it looked neat. I, I would say they also, and, and it's something that, that home console has, has done kind of time and time again. I can't really say too much for like the early 90s, but late 90s moving forward is constantly tried to emulate what the PC market was doing. And they're looking at, you know, PC, you know, something, an area we really don't really have to go into. It's pretty much 95% physical for PC. And they're like, well, those guys have a good idea. They're making a lot of money from not manufacturing a game. Not saying we shouldn't stop, you know, not saying we should stop manufacturing games, but they don't have that overhead. We could just have this on our platform. This could be a thing, a way for the player to purchase it. And of course, the, the rationality of, you know, saying convenience, helping the player, and this 
but on the back end, of course, they they don't have to make, they don't have to manufacture anything, but they can still charge relatively the same price. I think that also plays a part in it, is kind of like looking at what, not necessarily your competitor, but someone in the same marketplace as you is doing and going, damn, that is, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's it's weirdly a way that, in, in thinking about it, after just listening to you say that, I, I feel like the digital gaming and the pricing being what it has been has been the awkward way of combating inflation. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we probably should have seen game prices go up a long time ago, like everything else in the world has. Oh, yeah. But we didn't for so long. But it's also because there is less overhead on that digital aspect of it. Is it significantly less? We can't really say for sure without knowing every little number that's involved with it, but it is less. And and they, they cut back in a lot of ways. Like, even with physical, you saw them cut back. Like, there was a point in time where you picked up your game and you opened the case and you pulled out the book and you read through a book for the last time on a video game. I mean, there was that point for literally everybody who has ever pulled the book out of a video game and read through it, like you were saying, excited on the way home when you were younger or, you know, while at dinner or whatever. And them cutting the manufacturer cost of just going from a full book. Man, back in the day, some of those fighting games, their books were so crazy thick. Oh, dude, you had like a page for each character. With as all their, bio, their combos. Then you had their, yeah, then you had their combos on the next page. And that went literally down to just not even a book anymore. It doesn't even open. Just a leaflet that says you can find this stuff. And it's like seizure warnings and like, you know, different warnings and things like that. Like where you can find this stuff in game. A quick blurb about that. And then the warnings. You had some RPGs because, let's face it, RPGs can be very intimidating if you've never played one before. Yeah, A lot of older RPGs would give you essentially a walkthrough for like that first big dungeon or whatever you had to get through. Without having to give you all the tutorial stuff on screen, they gave you the walkthrough in a book so you could get a feel for like what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go, what this means. Little tips like talk to these people that's going to help you. And that helped you learn the game so that by the time you're done with that first dungeon, you knew how to do the job. You knew how to, that was like your, that was the equivalent of your training session for a new job. You got done with that. You figured it out. You were good to go. It's, it's weird thinking about how they're all just gone now. Yeah. It's, it's also kind of an aspect that on the digital, on the digital side of it, they can give you digital copies of that if they want to. Um, they can sure. give you all kinds of other digital bonuses they want to. And whereas on the physical side, you had a market that was very controlled at release, on the digital side of it, that market is controlled from release forward. You know, you don't have a place that can break street date on a digital game. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, you, it's dangerous, too. It just in, in general, and that's something, again, we'll get into probably the second half of this on, on the dangers of how digital can be controlled. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of pepper that one in there. <laughs> Not to interrupt. Yeah, but like... No, with with digital though, like we've got, it, it's got its pros and cons, and we'll definitely go at length on those. Um, the biggest thing though being that that market is controlled. As long as that that game is available for sale, as long as they want it to be, that game is the price they want it to be, as long as they want it to be. That means that you can't just jump in and buy a used copy of a digital game. You're you're kind of stuck with it. Right. 
Yeah, and you know, subscription services as well being kind of the the, the future of games. That that again is going to be something that's talked about. That's right along. I, I feel like if you're looking at these as bullet points, there's digital and underneath like digital purchasing, there's that sub bullet that is like subscription services. Right. That that will end up doing its own episode yeah yeah it it will likely talk about that a bit more not under the facts um just because we're not really getting into the facts of subscription we're really focusing on that digital versus physical but we'll get into i feel like some conversations just about subscription with some of those personal opinions stuff like that yeah like you know the the last big thing on digital it as you said it did give us the subscription mindsets game pass playstation plus etc um that's the closest we have to mirroring gamefly so it is, as you said, double-edged sword. We've got both. Yeah. And, the, man, I don't know. There is. It might, might be kind of tough to not really talk about subscription just because it's so readily available. And that is the way that some people just get their digital, you know, their digital things, you know, with Game Pass or PlayStation Plus. It's just a red, readily available library of video games. <laughs> so I think that with... What we've covered just on this this factual aspect of it, we, we covered some of the pros and cons from a logic standpoint on it, but nothing here that really impacted, nothing here that was really based on the consumer versus the company. This was much more of a, this has been the background, this is the facts, this is digital gaming, this is physical gaming. We've spent a lot of time on, on this part of it. I, I think that that's probably where the first the first part of this episode is probably going to wrap. That's been a pretty big part one of our physical versus digital conversation. So thank you guys for joining us uh, for part one, the factual aspect of digital versus physical preservation and emulation. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Mammoth Games Inc. And prepare. Uh, next week we'll have part two where we'll dig into the preservation and emulation portion of it as well. Some more personal opinions, you know, opinions from the consumer, opinions about the publisher and developer. I think there's going to be some facts sprinkled in there. But as well, as we stated, check out the other Fun Balance podcast. We appreciate that, guys. Thank you for joining us this week. I am Jay. Find me at Night Swarm. Joining me, we have Johnny Riot. Hey, hey. You can find him at Johnny Riot. And as well, Brian. Bye, beautiful time. You can find him at Major Potty. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one, guys. Mm-hmm.